I'd like for you to turn to the sixth chapter of the book of Matthew. And I want to read beginning at verse 25. For this reason, verse 25 of chapter 6, For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for, what, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? And why are you so anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? Do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your Father, Heavenly Father, knows that you need all these things. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. A group of about a dozen men sat cross-legged in a little hut in a Muslim village in Bangladesh. They had come, even though they were Muslim, they had come to believe that Yeshua was Messiah. And they were discussing whether or not to be baptized. Now the elders of the city had said it was okay for them to believe that Jesus was Messiah. But if they were baptized, if they chose to be baptized, they would all be brought to trial, would most surely be convicted of treason, would be beaten with bamboo rods, and some of them would die because they were old and frail. So they talked about baptism. And there was not a decision made in that little hut that night, corporately, that they would be baptized. But later on, it was found out that each one of them had chosen to be baptized. And they were brought to trial, and they were convicted of treason, and they were beaten with rods, and some of them died. Now when you hear stories like that, your response is usually, my, how wonderful these men are, were, are. Man, I'm glad I don't live in Bangladesh. And I think that sometimes we get the mistaken notion that the only time it requires courage to live for Christ is in third world countries. But here in America, we're much more Christianized and civilized and pluralistic. And it doesn't really require a whole lot of courage to be a Christian in America. Wrong. It takes a great deal of courage to be a Christian. And one of the most courageous things that a man could ever do is to live 
differently from his society. I pulled up at a stoplight not long ago, and uh, I glanced over to the left uh, at the stoplight, and a cute little young lady pulled up in a sports car. I quickly looked away. And, and I, I glanced back, and I, because I could see that she was moving, she was gyrating, she was getting down. And, and I, I, I would not try to demonstrate without an orthopedist here what she was doing in that car. She was, she was moving. And it was not a small feat because it was a little bitty sports car and bucket seats. Well, she had her, she was tuned in on the radio. Well, so was I. <laughs> but it was obvious that she was tuned in on a different wavelength than me. And her behavior demonstrated it. One of the saddest things in the world today, one of the most tragic things is that our churches are filled with people who don't have the courage to tune in on the divine wavelength and move to the beat of a different drum. When it comes to Monday through Saturday living, one of the most tragic things of our time is that nobody dares to be different. Now I think that this beginning, this daring to be different and to tune in on a different wavelength begins with regard to the establishment of our priorities, what is most important. And when we begin to establish our priorities, the first thing we have to do is identify existing priorities. Uh, Stuart Briscoe, a great English pastor who's now pastor in Milwaukee, tells a, I hope it's tongue-in-cheek story about one day a group of men in his church came to him and said, uh, Stuart, he said, uh, we, we want you to know that being fit and healthy is important. It's got to be one of the most important things. That we want you to, to, to have that as a first priority. He said, okay, I will. I'll get into fitness. So he said, I started getting up early every morning and running early in the morning. He said, it wasn't long until another group came to him. He said, Stuart, he said, have you been reading anything about Martin Luther? He said, oh, no, here it comes. Martin Luther is the man who said, I've got so much to do today, it, must, it would take me four hours in prayer to get everything done. And he said, here it came. He said, well, now, we believe that one of the most important things is getting in prayer and getting in the Word, and so we want to encourage you to do that. So he said, every morning when I got out and jogged, I closed one eye and I prayed. And he said, it wasn't too long until another group came, and they said, uh, Stuart said, we want you to be prepared when you preach to us. And preaching, number one priority of a pastor, he said, I think it is. And he said, well, we want you to know that we've subscribed to some books and magazines so that you can read and have something to, fresh to say when you got up and preached. So he said, the next morning I got up and I went out and jogged early, closed one eye to pray, kept the other eye open, reading my magazines. He said it wasn't too long till one of some el somebody else in the church came and said, Now, sure, we know that the family is important. You need, you, know, you, need, you need not neglect your family. He said, So every morning while I was up jogging, one eye closed praying, one eye open reading, my family was running after me. <laughs> he said, Wasn't long until another group came and they said, Stuart, you guessed it. You look tired. You need to rest more. He said, Now, how in the world am I going to get all that together? It is difficult to find out where our priorities are. Listen to me. A person who lives distinctly and succinctly as a Christian is a person who has 
established his priorities, and he begins with identifying them. So Jesus got his people together. He said, men, let's talk about anxiety. What are your anxieties? Some of them were worried about what they were going to eat, food, and what they were going to wear, fashions, and what about money, money, finances. Some of them were worried about extending their life, fitness. Some of them were worried about family, family. So their anxieties were food and fashion and fitness and finances and family. Has anything changed? And he said, gentlemen, let's talk about actions. He said, these pagans, these Gentiles run here and there, busy, busy, active, active. He said, don't be like the Gentiles, busy, busy all the time, active, active. There are some of us this morning who are so busy. We're just going this way and that, and, and, and we don't really have enough time to do what we need to do. Let, let me, even though there are some things that are absolutely essential that we have to do, I mean, in order to keep mind, soul, and body together and a roof over our head, there are some things that we cannot neglect, but there is such a thing as discretionary time. Now, let me help you to identify what discretionary time you have in your life. And there's a lot of it. There's seven days in a week, right? And there are 24 hours in a day. You multiply seven times 24. How many is that? 168. I worked on that before I came, so I know. 168 hours. Now, 40 hours a week at work and so much time and sleep and fixing meals and all that kind of stuff. And, and you add all the time that is absolutely essential and you add that together and you subtract that from 168 and you've got discretionary time. There's a lot of it. For we always find time to do what we want to do. Stuart Briscoe tells about the old man lived in the north of England who loved rugby. That's English football. And every Saturday he went to the rugby matches. Those terrible, severe English winters, gale-blowing gales, and sleet and snow and rain and dark of night, always in the bleachers, bundle up. He started out with coats and scarves and just bundle up. His face was normal color when he first got to the game. Then it turned red. Then it turned blue. Then mauve. Then purple. On Sunday morning, he sang in the Anglican church choir. On Monday morning, he was in bed with a cold, vowing to his, to his daughter that he's never going to sing in that drafty old Anglican church again. I mean, we always find time to do what we want to do. Let's talk about ambitions, he said. He said, there are some things that these pagans eagerly seek. And that word there is heavy with, with intensity. He said, there are some things that these pagans drive themselves to accomplish. They're ambitious, intensely ambitious. Now, everybody has a certain amount of ambition he better have. What are your ambitions? That is, what drives you and what motivates you? Let me help you identify your ambitions. If you made a list under the topic, if only, if only I had that car, if only I had that new house, if only I were popular. And when you find that list of if onlys, you have listed your ambitions. And Jesus said, now, these are your existing 
priorities, those things that are, make you anxious, those actions of your life, those things you want to do and find time to do, and the things that drive you. Now, after we have identified our priorities, we need to evaluate them. Well, you see, sometimes people get the all-important things under the not-so-important category. And sometimes we get the not-so-important things in the all-important categories. We get it out of sync. And lest you have some of those all-important things in the not-so-important category and vice versa, it's important that we evaluate the priorities. Food. Hate to bring that up. Can you tell me a conversation you had, you've had in the last month with anybody that did not involve food? I mean, is this fat or does it have fat? Is it no fat or is it low fat? Is it semi-low fat? Is it semi-fat? Is it semi-non-fat? I mean, it's everywhere you, it's, everybody's talking about it. Does this have cholesterol? Food. Fashion. It is absolutely mind-boggling how important external image is to some of us, reflecting what's going on on the inside. And we have literally given our lives to the external image. That's the important thing. How important is it to look good, fashion, and finances? So that there are some of us who are literally consumed with a desire to make money. And somebody said, two, two people were talking about a, 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 a mutual acquaintance who had died and they just probated his will. And they asked, well, what, how much did he leave? And the other fellow said, he left it all. What a chilling thought. What a chilling thought that a person could give his life to that which he could not keep. And someone asked the richest man in the world one time, how much is enough? And he said, it's always just a little more than I have at the present time. And what Jesus was saying is this, that when food and finances and fashion and fitness and family become the all-obsession of your life, you've got them in the wrong priority. Take food, for example. The bird's doing pretty well. They don't work. Fashion, external. Look at these lilies growing. I tell you, Solomon never looked as gloriously beautiful. And how about finances? Why, you can literally lay up in this earth that which you can't keep. And so we watched the chilling episode on television as the mighty Mississippi came roaring through Missouri and there was this farmhouse. This poor man had literally lived his life building that thing and we watched as that mighty Mississippi just took that farmhouse under. Somewhere in the Gulf of Mexico there's a shingle floating around belongs to that farmhouse. Gone. He said, you're worried about fitness? Extending your life? You have absolutely no control over that. Why do you run? Why is the action of your life focused upon that which will not produce that for which you were saved, that which you were created? Evaluate. And after there's been this identification to get ready to evaluate, the question is, by what criterion do I evaluate 
my priorities? That's the question. What's the criterion for evaluation? I mean, if you're building a house, you, just, you don't just lay a foundation. You, you probably want a level, unless you want some waves in your den. I mean, you have a level. And you don't put up a wall without a plumb line. And when you put the walls together in the corner, you, you probably need a square. I mean, you just don't start building a house and kind of squint one eye and line it up to the nearest tree and say, yeah, I think that works pretty, that'll work pretty good. You have some kind of standard or criterion, some plumb line, some level, some square. So what is the criterion by which we are to evaluate our priorities? The criterion is seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That means that the kingdom is numero uno. And all these are important, but they're not all important. Now listen to me carefully. That person who has decided that he will make a distinct, succinct difference, to be different, is a person who has decided, has committed to the fact that the kingdom is number one. Now you say, well, what is that? What does that mean? What is the kingdom? Say so you didn't talk about the kingdom. What is it? Well, let me ask you a question before as, as the answer. Have you experienced the kingdom? The Bible said that one day um, Nicodemus came to Jesus, this ruler of the Jews, and they got to talking about new birth, and Nicodemus didn't understand it. And Jesus said, I, 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 can real, I understand what you're talking about. I, I understand. I know, Nicodemus, this, that, that unless you're born again, you will not, not only will you not know the kingdom, you will not even understand it. Now watch this carefully, friend. Hear, hear me now. The Bible says that every man in this room and every child, every woman, was created from God, came from God, was created for God, is to live their life through God, and is one day going to be accountable to God. We came from God. We are created for God. We live through God. We're going to be accountable. We are accountable to God. Somewhere along the way, every person has lost God. It's called sin. Separated. Lost God. And in this experience of losing God, I began to assume the place where God belongs. I began to say, well, now, I want to live my life as I please. And I take the throne, and my life becomes selfish and self-centered. And it's no longer what you will, but what I will. For here is the kingdom, listen to this definition. The kingdom is any realm of human experience where the king rules and reigns. Where the king rules and reigns. So if that describes my life, my life is where I rule and reign, where I'm on the throne, not by any stretch of the imagination can I call that the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of self. And there needs to be a revolution. And there has to be a revolution. And this is what the new birth is. There must be a revolution at the government of our life where this petty tyrant 
is removed from the throne, this petty tyrant called self, and there is the coronation of the king of kings, and he begins to rule and reign. I ask you this morning, is that your first priority? That Jesus Christ would rule your life? And that self would abdicate the throne and he would assume that place? Is that describe your life? Have you experienced the kingdom? Are you expressing the kingdom? We, we, we miss this. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. For you see, righteousness is the expression of the kingdom. One of the reasons why I'm convinced that Christianity has fallen on hard times is because some of those who are in the high places of high visibility and high, who are highly vocal, high positions, live like the devil. And while they are expressing the kingdom... While they are saying they experience the kingdom, they are not expressing the kingdom. While we are vocal about being born again, we are not living anew. We are not expressing the kingdom. Now the characteristics of the kingdom, watch this. Those things which are right and good and true. Unfortunately... The things that characterize this kingdom, this society, are those things which are profitable, popular, and comfortable. Now we say, somebody say, well, I like all six. I'd like to be popular and profitable and comfortable and good and right and true. Well, good luck, but sometimes they just don't coexist. Watch this carefully. Sometimes when... Those things which are true are not popular. Can I say it again? Those things sometimes which are true are not popular. I heard about a man who worked in a bank, and one day the officer, the leader of this bank, his superior, his boss, who was a tyrant kind of a man, said to him, said, if so-and-so calls, I'm not in. He said, oh, you're going to be out? He said, no, I'm not going to be out, but I'm not going to be in. Oh, you mean you're going to be in, but you're going to be out? He said, yeah, that's right. I'm going to be out, but I'm going to be in. And he said, well, I can't do that. And the boss went ballistic. I mean, he started ranting and raving, threatening to fire him. And the man said, wait a minute. It looks to me like that you would want somebody who would tell the truth. For if I would lie for you, I would lie to you. Well, you see, some things that are true are not always popular. And some things that are good are not always profitable. I met a man in Eugene, Oregon, who had come from the East Coast to become the president of a large corporation in, on, the, on the West Coast. And he was not a Christian, and somebody kept sending him Adrian Rogers tapes, and he got to listening to them, and he got saved. And he walked into the corporate headquarters, a large corporation that paid him six-figure money and said, I can no longer be the president of this company for what I am doing is not right. Although it's profitable, it's not right. 
And some of those things which are comfortable are not good things that are good. Let me tell you something. If you live the good life, it might be uncomfortable often to do it. You experience the kingdom? Are you expressing it? Are you extending it? Two-thirds of the people of this world have never known Jesus, do not know Jesus Christ. And we come to church and we talk the good talk and we sing these songs about being missionaries. Let me tell you something. It's easy to voice that. Are you doing it? And so Jesus said, this is the criterion that you experience, express, and extend the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ and you keep on doing it. Now watch carefully, I'm through, almost out of here. What Jesus was saying is this, you have to make a one-time commitment to this, that where what you want and what I want come into conflict, you make a commitment to what I want. And if my will and your will collide, you make a commitment, it's not my will, but thine be done, Lord. I heard a guy tell about running a 10K race not long ago. And he said they got out there 6.2 miles and they got ready for this 10K. Thousands of people were there. And he said at the front was a group of people who were the lean, mean runners, boy. And they were there. Behind that was a second group, the not-so-lean, mean runners. And behind that group were the serious joggers. And behind that group was a group, the not-so-serious joggers. And behind that group was a motley crew. He said, they had three guys dressed up like fruit of the loom. <laughs> one was a grape. Hey, I just tell them like I read them. One was a grape. One was an apple. Had on these suits. One guy was dressed up like a beer bottle. And there were four guys that had a bed. It was a guy on a bed, had wheels on this bed, and they want to run, push that bed with a guy, and they were going to rotate. <laughs> guy on the bed was going to get off, and another guy was going to get off. So they fired the gun, and the lean, mean runners took off, and everybody followed them. He said after about a quarter of a mile, one of the wheels came off of that bed, and they, they, they fell out by the wayside, and the grape and the fruit of the loom guys quit, and the beer bottle. He said about the first mile, everybody was just kind of talking and laughing. It was a lot of fun. Second mile, just casual conversation. Third mile, gasping, <laughs> breathing hard is all you could hear. Fourth mile was just the sound of feet pounding on the pavement, plodding feet. Fifth mile, total silence. Sixth mile, prayer was going up. Get me out. Get me to the end of this, and I'll never run again. He said the race was over, 6.2. He said, I looked for the beer bottle. I looked for the fruit of loom guys. I looked for the guys with the bed. Couldn't find them. They weren't serious about the race. They were in it for the fun. Are you? 
serious about race so that someone would look at you and say, oh man, I take the pledge. I'll be baptized even though it means that I die. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray that the number one thing today in this invitation would be your will in every heart, the kingdom first. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Uh, look here, will you please? There might be someone here this morning who has never given his life to Christ. Child, come to let Jesus be her Savior and Lord. Maybe you need to come this morning to place your faith and trust in the living God. Self abdicates the throne. And the living Lord assumes the exalted position. Or maybe you need to come this morning and place your life in this fellowship, whatever way you would come to do that. Or to come as young people, to adults, to say, He is not the Lord of my life. He's not number one. And I want Him to be the Lord of my life. Here's what I offer to Him, my life. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.